take you through a story today. Just going to highlight a few things scripturally and then just try and take you on a journey. Um, learning from the first meeting where I was woo, squeezing it in at, at the end. Because it's, it's a long story. It's a long story. It goes back a long way. Um, uh, we were reminded actually this morning, it was Chris who reminded us, Chris and Chris and Linda reminded us that, I didn't, well, didn't remind me, I never knew it, but it's actually that, that Poland regained its, its freedom, its independence 100 years ago today. Um, it had lived without freedom for 123 years and it was a nation that regained its freedom. And uh, over the years, there are you know, nations that have regained their freedom. What they do with that freedom, they then have to work out. And that's one of the, the keys. You, you create freedom, but you can't help necessarily... Well, you can help, but people will manage their freedom in, in, in ways, which is what I'm going to... Some of what I'm talking about, but not, not so much this week. Next week, I'll come on, on to that. But, um, and uh, for me, this is a massive day, because this is my dad's 90th birthday. So our story started 90 years ago. And my dad always shared his birthday with, uh, with Remembrance Day, which is, wasn't always easy, but you know, I know, any of you, you know, you have, you've got birthday on Christmas Day, that's kind of tough, but at least you get presents. <laughs> so, so, so my dad shared his, his birthday with, with this sort of solemn national occasion. And, um, and he's a great man. And so yesterday we had a fantastic family event. And, uh, yeah, he, he created, he with my mum created a great foundation for, for myself, my sister, and our, <laughs> our lives be built upon, a, a real foundation of unconditional love and, and grace. Um, and I can tell you lots of stories about that, but I, I won't have time, because I'll probably get very emotional then. And, um, but I do talk about uh, him around the world, and I was just telling him and our family that yesterday. And so when I got to my sister's house, which is where he lives now, um, and they do a great job of looking after him in his, in his fragile old age, um, I said, okay, Dad, happy birthday. What, what would you really like for your birthday? And he said, I'd like my, all my family here. And uh, he didn't actually remember that we were all coming. <laughs> so, 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 so I said, okay, Dad. I said, I said, you know, my daughter, who, Kerry, she lives in Albania. I said, Kerry's flown in especially for you, Dad. And uh, David and Joe and Zoe and Sam were en route and, and also... Uh, my sister's children all live n- near there with, with their grandchildren. And actually, for the first time ever, oops, there we are, freedom. <laughs> freedom to make a noise. <laughs> That's what it was like yesterday. We had a lot of kids. <laughs> so for the first time ever, all of my dad's family was in one place at one time, apart from my mum who's in heaven right now. And so he had all his children, well, the two of us, uh, uh, with our, with our, uh, his grandchildren, all his grandchildren, and all of his grandchildren. For the first time ever, all his grandchildren were in the same place at the same time. And uh, also we will remember on that. And um, So, yeah, so that, that's part of my story. So my story, in one sense, started 90 years ago with my dad, who made some massive choices. He did not have an easy life, neither he nor my mum, but they made extraordinary choices to create a freedom for myself and my sister to live in. Um, they lived through the Second World War. So many stories I know of that. And I remember my mum telling me about uh, you know, Victory in Europe Day, VE Day, when that battle was won and how she and all her friends danced all night. <laughs> Literally danced all night. And then, then they wake up the next day to the world that needs to be recreated. 
you know, because the, the, the victory celebrations are great, but actually after that is, is the rebuilding of, of you know, the ruins of, of, of many nations. And, and I feel that's a, that's a picture, you know, because Jesus has won an ultimate victory for us, hasn't he? He's won ultimate victory for us, and he said it is finished. You think you can look around and think, doesn't look like it's finished. It, it is finished. He did his work. He did his bit so that we could live in freedom and create freedom. That's the challenge in front of us. And sometimes we don't use that freedom as well as we could or should. We don't fight for it as we should. We don't value it enough and we don't know how to. So, so that's, that's what I'm looking at. And so I want to, to talk to you about that and my journey. Um, and it's, it is pretty personal to me and, and Kim, um, but it is inclusive of you. So if you're part of Eastgate, the church family, this is your story. Just you don't know all of it. Mostly, like I don't know all my family stories. You know, we tease bits out. You ever tease bits out of your family life? You think, oh, I never knew that. Never knew that. And so one of the things that Kerry and I were doing yesterday with my dad, she, she wanted to know more of the family story, so she was teasing bits out of him. Well, yeah. <clears throat> so you, you can tease bits out of me today. Um, but in, in the first meeting, actually, um, Catherine Horton had a prophetic word about Dunkirk, um, about the importance of, of us as Eastgate, specifically the Eastgate Church family having a, a, a Dunkirk anointing and calling. Um, and most of us know the story of Dunkirk. Um, I think she said there were eight, about 850 ships. And some of them weren't ships, um, but we'll talk about that. But went and basically rescued the, the British army and some of the French army who were stuck in, in northern Europe on the Belgian beaches there, surrounded completely by an enemy, and they were rescued from that place. Now, not just were they rescued, but that was a foundation that, that, that was rescued for the, the fighting of the Second World War. It wasn't just that, that but without that rescue mission, the Second World War would not have been won. But it, it might look like a, a defeat, but it was a strategic retreat. But, but enough was saved that the foundations for, for the Second World War. And well, we had that same prophecy 18 years ago. Dave Stevens brought it to us. I was just saying, Dave, when did when? He said, 18 years ago, brought that prophecy. He knows that because it was around the time that his youngest child was born. And the, the, peop, the point of that is, is it doesn't matter how big or how small your boat is, you can play a part. Do you know how small the smallest boats were that played a part in Dunkirk? Any ideas? Canoe. As far as I know, canoe. That surprised me. Um, my dad used to live in Broadstairs and Ramsgate Harbour's near there. There is a boat in Ramsgate Harbour that's got a little plaque on it. You just look at it. It's an insignificant little boat, not much to look at, except it played a part in Dunkirk. I was chatting just that. Actually, um, Diane Cass, somebody know Diane Cass? Her, was it granddad or uncle? He, he, he took a boat across to Dunkirk. So, you know, we've made a direct connection <laughs> there to, to our church family. Wow. So this is this bit. I don't. It doesn't matter how big or how small your boat, your resource is. Will you offer it to this great cause and see what God will do with it? You know. You, you say, well, I'm, no, you know, what's, what use is a canoe? I, I don't know how they made use it. They did. You know, what use is a rope? But what, you know, we need a, one of those destroyers. No, no, no. Just what have you got that you will offer to God in the great cause of freedom? Okay. You ready to give whatever you've got and see what Jesus can do with it? It's amazing what he can do with a few fish and a few loaves. Whatever you've got, whatever you've got, he wants to use it. So I want you to turn with me to... We live in a great history, don't you? Of so many people like Wilberforce and others who fought for freedom. So, so 
<coughs> but there's a, there's a, a, a passage in um, Exodus, okay, that, that, that guides me a lot and has done. So I said last week, but and I'll re- just say it again that when I was I was born again when I was fi- uh, 16, um, just coming up towards 17, um, 1975. Kim was born again in 1976, and we were we were both born again again into what I call um, unrestricted Christianity. We didn't know there were any limits. We didn't. We, we didn't. We weren't born again in. Uh, into sort of a, a legalistic Christianity. We were born, in, born again into Christianity. Wow, anything is possible. Um, we didn't have religious upbringing that, that restricted that. So we thought, wow, this is amazing. Um, and uh, then we both went to university in 1977. And that was the first place both of us came across people who le- believed in Christianity with limits. And we thought, oh, okay. Um, and uh, so that was the first place, basically, people told me what I couldn't do in Christianity. It was, it was fascinating because, see, I was born again when I was 16 and I'd already decided I was going to, to medical school. I was en route to becoming a doctor. So when I was born again, I thought, well, me, medicine and God, nothing can stop me. That was, that was, yeah, I thought, the origins of heaven in healthcare went back to when I was 16. Yeah, because I thought, poor, blah, I'm going to be a doctor of excellent medicine, put God in the middle of that, unstoppable. But people did try to stop me. I said, you can't do that. You can't do that healing night. That's just not on. I was also told I can't speak in tongues and all that sort of stuff. I just resisted them um, and uh, ended up leading hundreds of people to Jesus and also hundreds of people into the baptism and the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. The, the battle for healing has been a longer one. Forty-odd years, we're just getting to the place where we're starting to get that towards established as normal Christianity and on available for the world, not just tucked into our little closeted Christian corner. So it really was the first place where I, I came across people believe that you had to really stick your Christianity in the four walls of the church, and that was its limit. And I cho- chose not to believe that and went on a, a journey, really. So, so at the same time in the 19... Well, before that, in the 1970s, there was a guy called um, Bob Jones in the United States who was a prophet... And he, he got a, a, a prophecy from God that basically told him to help prepare the church for the harvest of a billion souls. Okay, so that, <coughs> that's a pretty big prophecy. Um, he said, hmm, okay, it's, you know, help. Basically, he, I think that framed his life work. He's an amazing prophet, most, many of you know. I met him personally. Um, extraordinary trying to understand him was, was hmm. you, had to, you, had he- you had to certainly have a heavenly mind to try and get through his spiritual hieroglyphics as I would call it I thought, what, is this, what did he just say um, but extraordinary man um, and uh, you know that, that framed his life, life's work I think prepare the church for the harvest of a billion souls um, so I was born again I went to university um, and basically Kim and I got, got a, we were at separate universities um, and she was in London I was in Bristol and then in my second year at university I was sitting in my university room and God came into my room, literally. And I've been thinking about how to express this. It, for me, it's difficult to express, but it, for me it was like the, a burning bush moment. I think that I'm trying to work out how to describe this. That was what it was like for me. It was God came into my room you know, in a way that wasn't normal. And I knew he called me. And, okay. and he gave me a task, just like Moses was given a task. And, and <laughs> Moses goes, who am I for such a task? And I was thinking, who am I for such a task? Um, 
And then the, he did similarly just before Kim and I got married. A year later, he came and called me and just gave me more details. And he, and he basically gave me the, said, uh, you need to take Moses as your example. This is the example. that, And he said, I've called you to lead millions of people into freedom. And uh, that was for Kim and I. It wasn't just for me. It was, and so we shared that. And Kim had a similar encounter with God on her own just before we got married, where basically God sh- showed her that, that the two of us, if we put our life force together, that how what we could actually create would be this thing where we would enable millions of people to come to freedom. So that's been our life's calling. That's shaped all that we do. And... Um, I finished medical school. God told us to move back to Kent. And what do you do? You get on with life. Because actually the best way of working out your spiritual calling is doing life. Not worrying about whether you're doing the calling. <clears throat> How are most of the mighty warriors trained in the Bible? Get on with it. Be a shepherd. Fight a few bears, lions, stuff like that. Do it in obscurity. Not worrying about whether anybody's noticing you. Let's get on with what God's put in front of you. Worship, all, that, all those sorts of, all those little things. I can teach you about that. And, and for me, the, the biggest learning lessons of my life came when I was uh, uh, junior hospital doctor, working up to 136 hours a week, saving people's lives, trying to raise a young family. Because Kim was uh, David, our first son, was born during my first six months of working as junior hospital doctor. Then Kerry was born two days before I started my my most hectic job. So the ability to know how to win your own battles, yeah? You've got to know how to win your own battles for you, not for other people. Um, and so that, that, was, that was really formative for me. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to have a look with me at Exodus chapter 13. <coughs> and then we're going to have another look at passage. Just very briefly, if you, Exodus chapter 13 verse 17 says this. This is after, this is just as the Israelites are being led out of Egypt. Now they've, they've just gaining their freedom. It says, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along, along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. How many, how many of you like the shortest route? <laughs> I, I, I'm really, the short route appeals to me. It's like we traveled yesterday up to Norfolk. I, did, I, I didn't want to go the longest route. I thought shortest route, good. Sat nav, get me there the quickest way possible. Thank you, Google Maps, for telling me of any obstructions. We're getting there as short as we can. God doesn't always work like that. Well, in fact, seldom does he work like that, I would suggest. Very rarely does God take you the shortest route. God said, now listen, this is the key issue. If the people are faced with a battle, this is the New Living Translation, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Isn't that not amazing? You'd think you'd be glad for your freedom, wouldn't you? Would you be, think, man, you'd be really happy you were free. Would you choose to go back to slavery? Well, the answer is, so often you do. Because you don't value your freedom enough to fight for it. They didn't know they had to fight. They were used to just taking orders. They hadn't, hadn't had to do fighting. They had to do obedience from fear. They had, they had to make sure they were you know, doing the job, otherwise they'd get beaten. But they, they never had to fight battles. This is what it says here. <clears throat> so God led them in a roundabout way. I like it, this is roundabout. <laughs> so I'm just going to go back to 
I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Slavery is a lot easier. You don't have to think for yourself. And you don't have any responsibility. Want to grow up as a child of God? You're going to have to take responsibility for the fight. God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. Now that fascinates me that bit because they were ready for battle but they weren't. In what ways were they ready? Well they were ready because God had given them the armour that they needed. They would, I believe they would have, they plundered the Egyptians when they left Egypt. So they would have taken with them swords, shields, the stuff they needed for battle. But they had no idea how to use it. Not just in schools training a sword play, but actually between, between, the, between your ears. So how many of you have the full armour of God? Yeah, you'll do. How many of you use it? Every day. This is a massive question, because if you don't, you will lose your battles. Because you're not ready. And you prefer to go back to slavery. Well, we're not building something for slavery. We're building freedom. So you've got to learn how to fight your battles, not just sing the song. This is how. This is how. And then as soon as you go out there, you start worrying. Or you start being judgmental, or you start. All sorts of stuff. What's going on between your ears? Yeah, the biggest battle's not in here while you're in worship. Seldom. Okay. So, turn over to Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. So, this is after, you know, they've conquered you know, the promised land. So you've got books of Moses, Joshua. Joshua goes into the promised land, leading the people of Israel. You've got Jericho. You've got extraordinary things happening. They, 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 they inherit and they inhabit the promised land. And then it's in Judges chapter 3. It says this. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land. This is the promised land. To test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. Isn't that not amazing? Why does, why, why is that important? Well, one of the things that we can confuse sometimes with, if like, acts of remembrance is that we are, we will not hopefully ever have to fight a first world or a second world war again. Hopefully the lessons have been learned that, that those battles are past. Now, there are wars and things going on in the world, but, but, but you know. <clears throat> um, so, so those enemies of tyranny, in one sense, have been destroyed. They can still surface in places. So you've got problems with ISIS. Or, you know, it's not that there's, it's not possible in the world. But, but, uh, but <clears throat> in Christianity, your enemy will continue to exist and attack you until the grave. Yeah? So Christian warfare is not a temporary thing or even a battle that you can win that does it forever. It will do it forever once Jesus comes back. Does that make sense? You've got to learn how to fight. And I'll say it particularly, many people younger than me, younger generation, if you don't learn how to fight your battles, you will lose. You'll lose the ground. Because we've got an enemy. Does that make sense to you? I'm not saying it's a nasty way, but God is quite clear. Every generation has to learn to fight their battles. And as much as you'd like to do it as parents, you can't win people, young people's battles for them. 
You can't. You can try and prepare them. That's what bringing people up is all about. But actually, you can't fight. If you try and fight with their battle, they will never learn how to do warfare for themselves. They won't prepare themselves for, for the Christian life, which is not just like a battle, it is a battle. Now, it's a battle filled with glory and goodness and joy. So, it, but if we lose this aspect of there is a battle and a fight, on, then we will only have part of Christianity. There's a world out there that doesn't know Jesus. There's a world out there that is oppressed by the tyranny of fear and darkness. I would suggest to you there's probably more mental illness in, in, in the United Kingdom right now than, than might have ever been in history. How did that come about? Everybody's free to choose. How they think, what they think. I'm not saying there was no mental illness during the Second World War, but you know, probably a lot less, because why? There was a focused battle going on. But people have lost sight of what the spiritual battles are. We have an absolute epidemic of anxiety, and it's right, you know, fear just manifesting in our health service, it, you know, sads me enormously. So we've got a battle on our hands for freedom. So, <clears throat> fast forward a little bit. 1988, Kim and I, uh, God told us to move to New Ash Green and became part of a small church, which within six months I was asked to lead. We have 25 adults, 10 children, um, and it just started to grow. So much so that in 1991 I needed to leave uh, my full-time general practice to be a part-time GP and a, a, a part-time working for the church. And what is significant, that was 1991. That was the same year that David Webster over here uh, planted his church in Gravesend. Exactly the same time, yeah. So 1991 was a significant move forward. 1994, I actually left my partnership in general practice but kept working as a, as a locum GP. Again, heaven in healthcare running through my, my veins. <laughs> Those two things are always going to run together for me. And uh, we helped to build a network of churches. And actually, that's where David and I actually were engaged in that battle. It were two separate churches, but we very much walked alongside one another for many years. And then in 2004, um, God brought us a very significant prophecy, two very significant prophecies. Um, from, uh, one from a guy called Julian Adams. Prophet, and he basically said to us as a church that day that God is giving us a Joseph anointing. And that Joseph anointing was uh, basically to... to build a massive resource house, warehouses, storehouses, whatever you like to call them, that would have, have enough provision to feed the nations. Now, when you live in a little place like New Ash Green, that's a kind of outrageous idea. <laughs> it was. It was outrageous stupid idea. I think, well, well, we're in the middle of nowhere, and uh, nobody ever knows where we are. They can't even find us if they try to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, that, it was... <laughs> what, if, uh, first time I tried to find New Ash Green, I couldn't find it. I was... <laughs> A strange place. Once I did find it, I just drove through. I thought, well, that was weird. <laughs> so, so it was kind of, you think, oh, right, okay, that's a, that's a big prophecy. We're, we're, we're going to feed the nations. Now, once there was a bit of that going on. Same, same year, exactly the same year, he basically gave us a prophecy, uh, I'm going to place you at the East Gate to the city, which changed everything. Because that meant we put the two churches together, we relocate our focus, and here we are with a city being built around us. What we're going to create in this city, we have a responsibility. We, we have the responsibility to create community in this city. That's our, our not it's just, it's a God-given mandate, but it's also actually our responsibility that's expected of us by the city authorities and the, and the house builders. 
that's enough to get you excited. So, 2000, what I'm trying to do is help you understand what you're fighting for, okay? Because if you don't know what you're fighting for, you won't fight very well. 2007, uh, at that stage, David, myself, and Jim Hunter were the three elders in the church. And at the same time, we found ourselves reading the same book from different sources, no reference to another, which was When Heaven Invades Earth, Bill Johnson's book. Oh, that's interesting. And then we saw him in a flesh, in a conference in Tunbridge, and that really started our engagement with Bethel. It wasn't the start of the story by many means, it's, it's, but the story goes back that far. But it was, this was the next bit of our journey that God was actually highlighting to us. And so we made some big decisions, and I think courageous decisions, and the leadership of the church, I just have to take my hands off. It's been, well, it's beyond being a privilege to, to walk alongside so many what I call giants of the faith, even if you don't think you're giants in this place, but the leadership of this church has always basically had this premise, if we hear God, we'll do it, and then we'll work out how afterwards. Because we won't subject the word of God to human resources, only heaven's resources. So basically the leadership team heard from God to send Kim and I to be in Redding, California, at Bethel Church for three months. And so we set off, Kim and I set off, on the 16th of April 2009, the significance of that date was it was 32 years to the day after Kim and I started going out. So we chose that day specifically. So we're going to go, we've been on life's adventure. This is another part of it. So we're going to start this on the, the anniversary of the day we started going out. We actually celebrate that day more than our wedding anniversary because when we really started together was the day we started going out. So, And that... What I want to try and convey to you is, is something that happened to us while we were there. I'm putting that in the context of the rest of the story, okay? Um, and I don't think you'll have heard all the details of this story, probably unless you've done day school, you've probably been subject, you know, able to understand all of this because that's usually the context within which God has given it to share. But more recently, we actually shared this story with a, a group of other church leaders just a few weeks ago, and it had an extraordinary impact and what I'm leading to is, is and I don't know how far I'm going to get through this today I'll get so far and it will be a bit of a rush but next week I intend to release an anointing that comes off of this that, that is out of heaven and it doesn't come from anywhere else Rob and Vicky have had enough now they're going it's right. <laughs> just for the cake of the message that's not true they're going to help with the children but thanks guys have a great time down there It's always dangerous what you're saying, joking, because it goes out on the podcast. You have to qualify qualify that. (laughs) You can make an in-joke. It sounds like... Okay, so so Kim and I... Now, I've been there three times. Kim had only been there once before, so she she knew very few people there. I knew a few more. Um, And I I actually went off on a... uh, uh, a trip with Chris Gore to um, be part of a healing conference in another part of America. And Kim was left on her own in Reading uh, at Bethel. And these are her words, okay? I'm going to read this. This is her words written in my book, uh, Unwrapping Lazarus. It says, After two weeks there, Pete left town for four days, and I had the privilege of being able to attend the School of Supernatural Ministry at Bethel. James Maloney was a guest speaker, and he shared his testimony, which was like no other I had ever heard. I heard things that blew my mind and my theology. I was just going to say, I'd love Kim to be telling this firsthand, but she's actually uh, leading the children's groups downstairs right now. Um, so, but these are her words. <clears throat> I heard things that blew my mind and my theology, and I love that. You ready to have your theology blown? 
You should be, because if you've got complete theology, you are in big trouble. Because God is infinite and eternal, and theology is about knowing him. There's always more that he wants to reveal them for you to discover. So this was what was happening here. After his talk, he explained that he would be praying for a prayer of impartation. Having just heard amazing faith-stirring and faith-challenging things, I stood with hundreds of others as he prayed. Now, what she just heard was stories such as dwarfs growing, uh, arms that didn't exist, literally growing out in front, all all sorts of stories. So, so, yeah, quite mind-blowing stuff. So that was what Kim had just been, she was processing. Standing quietly with my hands slightly raised, all I can say is that out of my spiritual peripheral vision, I became aware on my right of a large angelic being. He was big and gold and muscly. I stood there glancing to my right thinking, what do you do when you are aware aware of an angel? Good question. This has never happened to me before. Then a phrase came into my mind. I now think that the reason God put it in my mind in this form was so that I would know it wasn't from me, as it didn't fit my theology at all. Now, this is important. Although it sounds like a personal anointing, I believe it is a corporate anointing given to us and those linked to us. So that's why I want you to listen carefully. This is for you. Particularly if you're part of the Eastgate family. If you're, if you're a visitor here, I want you to get blessed your measure. But this is very, very specifically for, for those who are part of the Eastgate church family. And then the churches that are now getting linked, we're getting linked to. Okay, so The phrase was, I have an angel and his name is Gold. I had no idea what to do with this. Then two words came clearly into my head, gold and sword. As I waited, I saw a large gold flaming sword and had the sense that with an upstretched arm, I was to hold the sword up. And as I did so, something would happen in the heavenlies that would enable people to stream past into freedom and liberty. Okay, now that's what God called us to, remember? To bring millions of people into freedom. Still standing quietly, I tried to evaluate what was happening. It was all a bit too big for me. I was still aware of the angel and of the presence of God. Was this really happening or was I on an ego trip? It felt a bit like a commissioning. Pete and I worked with a group of churches in France. We did at that station. And we had visited the D-Day beaches in Normandy. The Holy Spirit reminded me that the names of the British beaches on D-Day were gold and sword. Okay, so the British D-Day beaches were gold and sword. In the days following D-Day, two temporary harbours were built, one on Omaha Beach and one on Gold Beach. However, two weeks after D-Day, a storm damaged both harbours. The harbour on Omaha Beach was put permanently out of action. The harbour on Gold Beach was repaired, and men and resources needed for the liberation of Europe poured through this beachhead for the next ten months. So at one stage, the only landing spot for resources to be on on the continent of Europe, other than Great Britain, not a political statement, the only place that the resources could be funneled through was Gold Beach. The resources needed to liberate a whole continent were channeled through this one beach. And it's no no surprise that that beach had to be fought for. I had the sense that God was saying, you have a beachhead anointing. As you establish something and hold ground in the heavenly realms, this will enable people to come into the freedom and liberation that is my heart for them. I stood feeling overwhelmed. It felt like a holy moment, so big, 
God was saying amazing things, but it was only between me and him. Now, I won't go into why that was important. It was Kim rather than me, but it was important, okay? What weight could give to what I had just experienced? What, what weight could I give to what I had just experienced? Later that day, I emailed Pete. I've got something to share with you when you get back. So I want you to get hold of that. What, what God was saying to Kim was that he was giving to her and to me and to us this calling and anointing to create the gold beach through which resources could channel for the liberation of Europe. Remember the Joseph anointing, the resources, you, you know, if you've not got a lot of resources, you can't get a lot done. This is the reason that God has, when we have resisted over the years, planting out, you know, doing, doing many things, but we have deliberately worked at becoming a large church, which is a massive challenge. But we need massive resources if we're to do what God has called us to do. And as we put all our resources together, then we will accomplish what God has put in front of us. Okay, so then we got a prophecy. A few days later, we got this prophecy given to us from a lady who we just met at a conference. And uh, I asked her to email it to us, and she sent it through to Liz in the office who forwarded it to me. And uh, this is what this lady had to say about us. It says, the Lord showed me that he has chosen you guys to make history in the UK. You are revivalists whose story is going to be recorded for history's sake. He showed me that you had warriors, military people in your generational lines. Kim's dad was in the army. This is actually an anointing for victorious warfare and strategy that he's released over your line that will be helpful to you in battling and receiving divine strategies of battle against the principalities and rulers over your region. The Lord also said that he was giving you increased favor and influence with important government people in your country. He's granting you greater influence with these people because of your heart. Your heart for, for God is what is moving the Lord to grant this increasing influence. He also showed me you have a heart for uh, what, the next generation. And he's called you to help and have influence over the next generation in the UK. You will have a sim- significant impact on their lives. I also saw that you are getting a new angelic guard to help you in this task. I saw a very large angel standing over you that was wearing a coat of arms. I've never seen this before, but I noticed that on the coat of arms was a lion that appeared to have wings. This is significant for your task and speaks of the role this angel will play in helping you with your task. Thank you, Jesus. Good to have the help. I can feel that it has to do with your influence. Again, I feel it has to do with your influence in government, but I encourage you to pray about this and get further things. Whizzing on, she said, I did not get the angel's full name, but I think it started with a G. I do think you will encounter this angel in the future, and many of us have, and you'll be giving more understanding about it. Okay, now go on. Another thing I saw was that the Holy Spirit was going to take you into a time of experiencing a fuller measure of his presence. I saw what looked like a Holy Spirit takeover of your life in many different areas. Um, Not that you aren't already sensitive to his presence, you are. This is more like a serious upgrade and greater infilling, which is what will happen to you next week. While praying for you Wednesday night, I saw that your ministry was going to be like a sword thrust into the UK and that when this sword went into the ground, it was a demarcation battle line in the spirit and it caused an earthquake in the surrounding region. You got that? Gold, sword, battles. This is the battle for freedom. It's ours. Not solely ours, but it's ours. 
Right, let's see if I can do this in five minutes. This is a tough one, this bit. I'll get there. Bear with me. If you have to go out and get your kids, I will be landing at some time, but then I just want us to respond. Um, in 1991, Bob Jones, the guy who had the prophecy about the harvest of billion souls in his life work, um, a friend of his died. And Bob Jones went to try and, uh, well, pray for him to be raised from the dead, went to the hospital to raise him from the dead. And this is how the story goes. A guy was in heaven enjoying himself and had no intention of coming back. Uh, uh, and God came to him and said, I want you to go back and you're to give Bob Jones this message when you get there. He said, basically, this is... The, and so the guy was raised from the dead and he got this message and he gave it to Bob Jones and said that you are to find a church in Northern California that will release 1,000 young eagles for the end time harvest. Well, not the end time, but the worldwide harvest. That was in 1991. Uh, the church that they found that they believed this was for was Bethel Church in, in, in Northern California. One of the reasons they started their supernatural school in Bethel was this prophecy. When we arrived in 2009, towards the end of their term, they were just about to graduate 972 students from their supernatural school. They realized that this prophecy was coming true after 18 years, and they invited Bob Jones back to, to Bethel for that last week of the school to be there and tell the story. And Kim and I got to meet Bob Jones and talk him out. But the, the, the actual time was, was specifically for the school. It was, it was a specific, and that visitors were not going to be allowed in because it was, it was just an anointing for these people. Um, somehow, well, I know how, Bob, Bob <coughs> Jones was there, but Bill Johnson asked Kim and I to be in the auditorium when this was going on. And so Kim and I were there as, the, as this story was told to these 972 students plus the staff of Bethel and the others. And now, so, so this is a moment when 18 years of prophetic history is coming into being. And we stood there and just were stunned, really, that we were, will, were able to witness such an event going on. And then what happened after that was that, that they went out, each of the year groups, to be prayed for and commissioned in this thing. I haven't got time to tell you this, but also there were eagles actually nesting in Reading at the time. It was, it was the news in Reading of, of young eagles. They hadn't had an eagles nesting in Reading for many years. On the day after the graduation, the eagles had flown the nest, and the, the ha- headline in the local newspaper was, Eagles Fly the Nest. We, we, went, and we went in with the, 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 the year twos, and basically Bill Johnson and the staff was laying hands on all of the year two people to commission them in this heavenly calling. Kim and I were standing there at the back, you know, just witnessing what was going on. And it was the most awesome spiritual moment of my life. I cannot describe it to you. It was like, it was literally like a burning bush. Again, it was not, I did not know what to do with myself. It was so holy. You couldn't talk. There was no conversation going on between Kim and I. It was literally un- and as I, as I stood there, I said to God, I just thanked him that, that we, I, was experiencing 18 years of, of prophetic history coming into fruition. And as I said, I just thanked him that we had the opportunity to be there to, as spectators to witness it. And God said to me, Pete, said, no. He said, this is why I called you for 30 years ago. This is it. And then he said to Kim, separately, no, no conversation going on. Kim was having a same similar conversation with God. Thank you that we're here to witness this. 
And he said, he said to Kim, no, this is what you were born again for. And as that happened, just after that, Bill Johnson came and laid hands on us and he commissioned us to be part of this and to bring this back to the UK and for Europe. And that's why we do what we do here at Eastgate. Kim and I stood out, well, we sat outside for about an hour and a half in stunned silence, gradually finding words to express, try and express what we just experienced. And then we found each other had had exactly the same experience standing alongside one another. This is what Eastgate's about. So I want to ask you, are you ready to fight for freedom? You want to be involved? Well, one of the things I realize, we're going to have to teach you how to fight your battles. Okay? That's what I'm trying to do. It's not, not that you don't know, but there are, there are battles we're going to have to learn. So I'm going to put a worship song on now because I, I, I think it's the only appropriate way that we can respond to this. It will take a couple of minutes. Okay, so I don't think, if you want to get your kids, if you want to bring them back up, then feel free. But do, do, do be faithful with the children's workers. Go get your kids and the youth. But we're going to put this on and I, I just want you to respond in worshiping God, okay? Okay. Cool.